verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them, and this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Once again, it's so good to be with you all here this morning. I hope you are uh, doing well with the Red Letter Challenge, and the challenge books are really great, really great short devotional that kind of gets you on the right track and gives you a a challenge to live the words of Jesus. Just a reminder, uh, if you don't know why we talk about Red Letter, uh, some New Testaments have the words of Jesus printed in red, and so that's where we get this Red Letter Challenge. The words of Jesus are challenging us, and so we're asking, what does it practically look like in our lives to follow Jesus on a daily basis? What does it look like to take the words of Jesus and to put them into practice, to hear his words and to live them, live them? And so that's what we're doing. We're doing that as a church community. We're doing it in our worship services. We're doing it in our sermon series. We're doing it in our daily time in the challenge book and in our life groups and in our personal devotions with our family. And we're basically doing two essential things. And like the leadership of the church didn't come up with this. Pastor Tim didn't come up with it. I didn't come up with this. Jesus came up with this idea. In the most famous sermon he ever, ever preached in the world, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus basically lays it out and he says, hear my words and then put them into practice. Hear and do. Listen and act. And I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, words this in the message. It's kind of a paraphrase. And he says this. He says, these words, it's like Jesus is saying this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words. I love this. Words to build a life on. He says, if you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. The rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. And then Eugene Peterson paraphrase continues, and he says, but if you just use my words in Bible studies, and I'd add worship services, and you don't work them into your life, You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. A storm rolled in, the waves came up, and it collapsed like a house of cards. I love those phrases there. Words to build a life on and work these words into your life. That's what the Red Letter Challenge is all about. It's hearing the words of Jesus, building our life on the words of Jesus and working them into our life. And if you kind of boil down all those red letters in the, in the New Testament, the words of Jesus, you can kind of get five big themes. And we're focusing on that uh, during our sermon series. The first one is being. We did that last week. Forgiving, that's this week. Serving, giving, and going. And when we talk about being, we're talking about the importance of spending time with God and the spiritual disciplines that are part of that. When we talk about forgiving, we're talking about, one, being forgiven by God and also being a forgiving people. Serving, being served by God, but also serving him and his purposes for our lives. Giving, we talk about God, how generous he is to us, but we as his people are also generous. And going, 
We talk about not only how we are God's hands and his feet, but we're also his mouthpiece. And we go and we have spiritual conversations and we invite people into God's family. So this week is forgiving. We're going to focus on forgiving. And uh, I was thinking about this this past week and the school year is ramped up. Anybody have a child in school? Okay. Anybody uh, have like a grandchild in school and stuff like that and know someone's in school? I mean, if you come to St. John's, the whole school year sort of affects your life. It's like one of the biggest ministries we have here, right? So we're starting in, we're going into week seven. And I was thinking about my kids and all of their great teachers. And uh, I was thinking about my own life. I was thinking about my own life growing up and all the teachers I've had over the years. And I was kind of thinking about what makes the difference between a good teacher and a great teacher, and I heard a guy speak about this once, and I, it made a lot of sense, that you have some teachers that are show teachers and some teachers that are tell teachers, show and tell. The tell teachers, they tell you things, right? And they, they're pretty good teachers. They impart information. And I've had some great tell teachers. They've been super brilliant brainiacs, and they say things, and you're listening to them, and you're going, wow, that was pretty profound. They tell you things. But they didn't really have a huge impact on my life. They didn't capture my imagination and my heart and my mind and my will. They didn't make a lasting impact. And I think that's the difference between the tell teachers and the show teachers. Because the tell teachers, they impart information, but the show teachers, they impart transformation. Right? They show you things about life. They show you with their lives. They don't just tell you words. And you all could probably think about some of these teachers you've had in your life, right? The show teachers. They brought transformation into your life. I started listing them off. Senior Norga, Dr. Lisa King, Dr. Marvin Bergman. I could list off a whole bunch of these folks. But one guy came to mind, especially Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones was my fourth grade teacher over up there at Villa Park Elementary School long ago. And I think I maybe have told you guys this story before, but I want to I tell you a little bit more of this. It was a fourth, third grade combination class. I was on the fourth grade side, and the third graders were over there, and I had a crush on a third grader on the third grade side, all right? And so, <clears throat> have I told you this story before? Okay. All right. You probably forgot it. Um, no, just kidding. So it's the story of the dollar bill crush and the anonymous note, right? So the third graders would leave school earlier, and sometimes we fourth graders would go sit over on third grade sides and spread out a little bit, and I had a crush on this young lady in third grade, okay? And I thought I had dreams of marrying her and all these sort of things and all of that. And uh, I wrote in a little note, a little secret anonymous note, something like, I like you or something like that. And of course, I wrapped up a dollar bill in it, and I slid it into her desk, Okay. What was I thinking, right? Uh, so the next day, she finds the note. She gives it to Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones makes an announcement in front of the class that somebody put something in this young, young lady's desk, and uh, please come talk to me at the recess. Uh, I need to talk with you about what you did. And I'm like freaking out, but I'm thinking, he's not going to catch me, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to let this play out, see how it plays out. He kind of brings it up again. Uh, finally, the next day during quiet reading time, he says, uh, he's bringing different students back. And he said, Michael, come on back. And I'm going back to get some advice on how to read or something like that. And he says, Michael, did you put the note in that young lady's desk? And I said, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> and then he said, Michael, I know that you put the note in that young lady's desk. I've been looking at your guys' handwriting for this whole year. <laughs> And I know your handwriting, and I know that you put the note 
in this young lady's desk. So finally, I admitted to it. I had sent her the anonymous secret admirer note with the dollar bill in it. I lied. I broke down. I'm sorry. I lied to you, Mr. Jones. I'm crying. And I'm like, you know, like I was, I was upset, right? And I'm thinking, surely I'm going up to the principal's office. That's going to go on my permanent record. I mean, that's like going, that's like going to prison for a fourth grader. <laughs> but instead, Mr. Jones, he did something powerful. He said, Michael, I forgive you. I forgive you for lying to me. He says, well, why don't you go up to the drinking fountain? Why don't you get yourself a Get a drink, take a walk around the campus, take a little break, and when you're ready, you come back to class. We're going to get on with the day. We're going to get on with our lives. Not only did he forgive me for lying to him, but he also gave me a new way forward because he told me, he said, Michael, if you care about someone, if you love someone, you tell them. Or you draw them a picture, or you make them something, or you write them a poem, or you sing them a song, or you do something nice. You don't Make it anonymous and put a dollar bill in there. You can't buy love, right? Money cannot buy love. I think someone wrote that somewhere at some point. But he set me on a new way to love in a new way. Mr. Jones, he was not a tell teacher, right? He wasn't just imparting information. He could have let that whole thing slide. I don't have any time to deal with this silly little thing, right? He was a show teacher. He was showing me how to live and how to grow up and how to communicate, how to love, and most importantly, how to forgive. He taught me to forgive by forgiving me. He wanted transformation for me. He didn't want to just tell me things and give me information. He wanted to show me because he cared so much about me and the rest of us students. And because of that, I cared for him, right? I wanted to be good for him after that. I wanted to, to be like him. And, and if Mr. Jones wanted me to do something or act a certain way, I was going to do it. I was going to be it. I was going to act like it. I would do whatever he said. I wanted to because I, I, I received forgiveness and love and care, and he's showing me the way. Great teachers, they impart transformation. They show you the way. Okay, teachers, they impart information they tell you. All right, what does that have to do with what we're talking about this morning? Let's get into the red letters of Jesus, and I think you'll see the connection. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It's also in your handout there if you want to write notes. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. And so just to let you know how that works, in, in Jesus' day, they didn't have chairs and tables like we did, low tables on a cushion. You kind of lean forward on the table, down on your knees, and your, your feet were behind you. So that's how she was kind of uh, washing his feet, and, and he was still engaged in the conversation at the table. Verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he's saying to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Like you're not, buddy? Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he said, tell me, teacher. Tell me, teacher. Teacher called him teacher, called him rabbi. 
and made me think, what kind of teacher is Jesus? Is he a show teacher or is he a tell teacher? Does he impart transformation or does he just impart information? Verse 41, Jesus said these, these are the red letters. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. It's like two years wages. And the other 50, maybe like two months. Neither of them had money to pay back him. And so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is calling out this hypocrite, this Pharisee, because those were common basic social customs in the time. You invite someone to your house, you have a guest, especially a distinguished guest like a teacher, like a rabbi, a guest of distinction, you would provide water so they could wash their feet. You would anoint their head with oil. You would give them a greeting and give them a kiss. And so Jesus is being pretty radical here. He's calling out this unrepentant, unrealistic Pharisee. This Pharisee actually thought that he either wasn't a sinner like the woman or at least not as sinful as she was. The reality is that Pharisee and that woman, just like all of us, are equally sinful. Before God, we are equally broken. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is more sinful or less sinful than the other. The difference was with the woman, she knew. She knew that she was broken. She knew that she was sinful. She knew that she needed Jesus. And because of that, she had already accepted his grace, already accepted his mercy, already accepted his forgiveness. She was already living the forgiven life. She was free from the baggage of sin and wrong. And her relationship with God was restored. And because of that, she couldn't help but love Jesus. She couldn't help but find out where he was going to be. She couldn't help but honor him and thank him and and, and, get, and praise him for all that he had proclaimed to her. And so Jesus in verse 47 says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus, he's calling out the Pharisee. The Pharisee didn't realize the enormity of his own sin and even his own hypocrisy at that moment. He didn't think he needed forgiveness. Or if so, he didn't think he needed as much as that sinner over there. And because of that, his love for others was weak, including Jesus, this distinguished guest at his own. He didn't even issue Jesus the common cultural courtesies. And then Jesus shows us that he just isn't a tell teacher but he's a show teacher. Jesus is all about transformation, not just information. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, he said, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your trust in my words of forgiveness and mercy has saved you. Go, go in peace. My friends, Jesus was the best teacher ever. 
He forgave the woman's sin. He did not condemn her. She had faith and trusted in his words, and he invited her into new life of peace, peace with God, peace within herself, peace with those around her. And Jesus, in these words, he's not just teaching us. He's showing us. He's showing us that if we are going to be a loving and forgiving people, it first starts with being forgiven, with receiving forgiveness. And I'd argue that the more that you understand that, the more that you understand you are in need of forgiveness, that you have brokenness in your life, that you are sinful, the more you can experience the grace and mercy, the more you can receive it, the more you can live in it, the more you can align your lifestyle to it, the more you can live a forgiving life. It's interesting as we fast forward to the end of the Gospels, we see Jesus not just telling information, but imparting transformation. Not just telling, but showing us. Because forgiveness, it costs a lot, right? Forgiveness costs far more than 500 denarii or two years wages or two months wages or even a trip to, up to the principal's office. Forgiveness for Jesus, it cost a trip outside of Jerusalem up to this hill called Golgotha where he hung. He hung on a cross. And on that cross, listen to the words he cried out. Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he breathed his last and he forgave the debt of the sin of the entire world world. He showed us. He showed us his great love. And because of that, because of that, we're here today. We admit we're just like that sinful woman in the story, that we need his forgiveness. And we're here today to honor him, to praise him, and to give thanks to him. Going back to my fourth grade year with Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones showed me so much love and so much forgiveness that whatever he expected me to do and to be, I wanted to do that. Because he cared for me and because he cared for my life so much, because he forgave me for lying to him, he, he showed me a new way forward in love. Jesus and his apostles, they have showed the world and all of us a new way forward a new way forward in love and forgiveness. St. Paul, one of his disciples, wrote these words, Colossians 3, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Anybody think that's hard to do? That's the hard part, my friends. It's so hard that even the disciples, they wrestled with it. Peter came to Jesus, Matthew 18. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? See, the rabbinic tradition was kind of like if you did three times, you were pretty righteous and awesome. So Peter's like thinking, I throw a seven in there, man. I'm going to show Jesus how awesome I am. Jesus answers back and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. That's pretty radical. And we learn from Jesus in these words and his disciples that forgiveness isn't a, an option. It's a lifestyle. Does it cost a lot? Yeah. 
Is it hard? Is it hard on relationships? Yeah. Can it crush us at time? Maybe so. He forgave us all. And he calls us to mirror that in our own lives. And my friends, that is hard work. It's confusing work. It takes time. It doesn't always happen overnight. It's not always a one and done thing. I mean, sometimes that happens. It's pretty straightforward, maybe at work or at home or someone wrongs you. They do something wrong. They say something wrong. And they admit it. They say, forgive me. And you say, I forgive you. And you're reconciled and things go on, right? But sometimes, actually a lot of times, it's so much deeper. It's so much more nuanced. It's so much more complicated. Someone may have abused you. Someone may have hurt someone very close to you. Someone may have done something terrible to you. And sometimes the person who has wronged you in your life, they are not repentant. They don't even think they did something wrong. There are so many layers to forgiveness. And at times like that, we wonder. We wonder, is forgiveness possible? And what does it actually look like in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in my everyday life. Anybody ever wrestled with that sort of stuff? That's big stuff. I think those questions and those conversations are the conversations that we have to have as a church. And they cannot be just done in a 20-minute sermon on a Sunday morning, right? Or a quick little devotional. That sort of work happens after service, after the sermon. It happens in our life groups. It happens in our homes. It happens in Celebrate Recovery. It happens in our therapist's office. It happens in support groups. It happens over a cup of coffee with a trusted friend or a mentor or a teacher. It happens over at Woody's after church eating breakfast with people. It happens as we live our life out together. And we talk about what does it mean to forgive? How can I move forward in this situation and that situation? I don't have all the answers to it, and I don't have a short, trite answer for the intricacies of forgiving others in your life when it's deep and complicated. But I do know this for certain, that the more that you experience forgiveness from God in Jesus Christ, the more you're able to forgive others. And I do know that the more that you forgive others, the lighter your heart gets, and the lighter the bitterness and revenge begins to dissipate and no longer consume you and the more that you forgive others the more healing in your own heart and the more healing in the lives of those you forgive I'd like to invite the band back up maybe they already are you know they're come on up guys but I really want to pray about that idea of forgiveness some of you you need to receive forgiveness from God you really do you don't think he can forgive you And some of you, there's someone in your life, and I hope you can identify someone, maybe right now, one person that God is calling you to forgive, or at least journey down that path of forgiveness and trying to figure it out with your fellow believers. I pray that we will all take steps this week in growing in God's forgiveness and in forgiving those around us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you that we can come here every week and we know that we can approach the throne of grace and mercy with confidence that there is nothing that we have done in this world that you cannot and will not forgive. And we praise and thank you for that. Lord, as we try to build our lives on that truth, 
as we try to have that work into our hearts, into our lives, into our being. I pray, Lord, that whoever it is that you're calling each of us to forgive, Lord, that we would be praying about that this week, that you would show us a path forward, that you would show us somehow in our hearts to forgive them, that you would show us somehow to have conversation with them or conversation with those that love us and can guide us and be with us and walk with us on the journey of forgiveness. Lord, help us to be a church that embodies and embraces the forgiveness of Jesus Christ lived out in our hearts and lives and in the lives of our community and those around us. Help us to build our lives upon that truth, upon Jesus, upon the forgiveness of sins, upon the amazing grace that you've given to us. Let us find freedom and release the chains of unforgiveness. Give us life in Jesus' name. Amen.